0: This is the fourth in a series for me. This is the last one for a while, for a bit anyway. I have no idea.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we sort of worked our way through a number of themes, and I've, I thought I would take a crack at emptiness today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> now, so we'll see how it goes. This is, this is pretty much my own personal metaphysic, but if it's of use... Wonderful. Uh, I, emptiness is one of those mystical-sounding words that sort of floats around. This is the first contact I ever had with it. It was from a book by Paul Reps, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. It would have been 50 years ago now. And when I, when I went to look it up and to find it, I, I found I had no idea what he's talking about. But it is very poetic. <laughs> Subhuti, which I suppose is a, some translation of Saraputta or Sharaputra or something, but Subhuti was Buddha's disciple. He was able to understand the potency of emptiness, the viewpoint that nothing exists except in its relationship to subjectivity and objectivity. You do? Oh, good. I don't. One day, Sabuti, in a mood of sublime emptiness, was sitting under a tree. Flowers began to fall about him. We are praising you for your discourse on emptiness, the gods whispered to him. But I have not spoken of emptiness, said Sabuti. You have not spoken of emptiness. We have not heard of emptiness, responded the gods. This is the true emptiness. (laughs) And blossoms showered upon Sabuti as rain pretty clear, eh? I don't need to go on. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a word that is pretty muddy in terms of its general meaning. It's actually a technical term. <clears throat> but it's, it's in a lot of ways at the heart of the wisdom side of the Dharma. Uh, the Buddha talks about it as um, dependent origination. Nagarjuna talks about it as dependent origination, as right understanding, understanding emptiness, right understanding. It's right view. It's the understanding of emptiness. Um, it's, a, it's, um, uh, it's about the end of suffering. The Buddhist teaching is about suffering and the end of suffering. And so emptiness is about the end of suffering. It's, it's got a lot of... It's the middle path between nihilism and eternalism as the Buddha's the concept, between it is and it is not. It's a, a piece from... Um, an early scripture. Uh, the Buddha is talking to, uh, to a disciple, he says, the world for the most part depends upon a duality, <coughs> upon the notion of existence and the notion of non-existence. But for one who sees the origin of the world as it really is with correct wisdom, there is no notion of non-existence in regard to the world. I know this doesn't sound really clear. I'm, this is an illustration of... And for one who sees the cessation of the world as it really is with correct wisdom, there is no notion of existence in regard to the world. It actually is pretty specific, but it's, it's not easy to fathom. What, what are we talking about? What is emptiness about? It's a word... And it has a lot of different meanings to different people. And so when it gets used as a word, you're trying to understand what it's pointing at. It's confusing because there are a lot of different, the word means there's a lack of something. Something is missing. If a room is empty, say there's nothing in it. Is that fair enough? please interrupt or comment you know if you think there's nothing in it but we but it could be full of air so is it empty well you know it could be empty of people full of air you know it it uh, it means there's an absence of something a lot sometimes in uh, in some texts they talk about the emptiness of a pot the the you it's the, the Dada Ching talks about the emptiness of a pot. It's the empty part of the pot that makes it useful. In psychology, we can talk about a feeling of emptiness, sometimes meaninglessness, like there's a lack of meaning. One thing it's not, there's a, there's a, uh, it's not a thing. It's, it's not a thing, in, this, in the sense, there's, there's a sense that it's used, it is the emptiness out of which all things come, and into which they all return. This is a sort of a Brahman kind of notion. A, there is a ground of being, there is something that permeates all existence that we are all a part of, and it's emptiness, and it, you know, the unmoved mover kind of thing, what Stephen Batchelor calls God and his surrogates. and it's not really about that it's not a source it's not it's not a tra- anything transcendent here's i'm going to read from the uh, the heart sutra this is probably the most recited bit of buddhist scripture on the planet i think it's recited in in mahayana context daily by and this, I'm, uh, well, I'll just read this. I went looking for a translation in the bookstore and was surprised not to find one. <laughs> of course, I only had a couple minutes. I may have been able to root one out. When the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara practiced deep prajna paramita, which we just the word prajna paramita, um, we have we have collectively translated as the, the perfection of wisdom. The practice of, of wisdom. When a bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara practiced the deep prajna paramita, he saw that the five skandhas were empty. Thus, he overcame all ills and suffering. O Saraputta, form does not differ from emptiness, and emptiness does not differ from form. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. The same is true for feelings, conceptions, impulses, and consciousness. So he just, you know, ran through the skandhas. O Sariputra, the concept of emptiness is not created, not annihilated, not impure, not pure, not increasing, not decreasing. In emptiness, there are no forms, no feelings, conceptions, impulses, no consciousness. There is no eye, ear nose, tongue, body, or mind. There is no form, sound, smell, taste, touch, or idea, no eye elements until we come to no elements of consciousness, no ignorance and no ending of ignorance until we come to no old age and death and no ending of old age and death. Also, there is no suffering of the cause of suffering of the ces- there's no truth of suffering. I'm sorry. Of the cause of suffering, of the cessation of suffering, of the path, just ran through the noble truths, because there is nothing to be attained. A bodhisattva relying on prajna paramita has no obstruction in his heart, because there is no obstruction. He has no fear, and he passes far beyond all confused imagination and reaches ultimate nirvana. All buddhas in the past, present, and future have attained supreme enlightenment. By relying on the Prajna Paramita, therefore, we know that the Prajna Paramita is the great mag- magic mantra, the great mantra of illumination. It is the supreme mantra, the unequaled mantra, which can truly wipe out all suffering. And he uttered the mantra gate, paragate, which sort of means gone beyond, beyond, really, really gone beyond. <laughs> but um, emptiness is a language thing. And by that I don't mean to belittle it because we live with language, we live in concepts, we live in our understanding which is made of concepts and language. We talked a little bit, I think I talked about um, the relationship of anicca and anatta, a Nietzsche being impermanence. If, when, we're, when we think of a radical impermanence, the radical impermanence of our experience, there is nothing that is permanent, that is unchanging, even to the subatomic level. There are no things, there's just process. But in our language, there are nouns. Those nouns arise and pass themselves. Um, they aren't they aren't things there they uh, they show up um, and and pass. but they do they do lead us to think that there are things. if we if we credit language, if we think that our language, the map that we have of our experience, the conceptual map, if we think that it represents, the way things are, there are no nouns. Christopher Titmus used to say, "Everything you think is wrong." You <laughs> may still say it, <laughs> um, because if you're if you're using language to, and there are conventions in language, and I think you know some of the the linguists are trying to look at language structure and try and discern. Some of the uh, neural patterning that, that it reflects, but the the tendency to reify our language, to assume that the language we use reflects the reality that it's talking about um, is is a um, the heart of the problem with with uh, Understanding emptiness. Let me talk about um, the difference between essence and dependence. Here's a great quote from the Dalai Lama. As you can see, I printed it out on a... (laughs) I just hit the print button. He says, All phenomena lack intrinsic existence, which is the heart of the matter. However, because of our fundamental ignorance, we ascribe intrinsic existence to them, to phenomena. That's the reification of a noun. We assume that there is... Okay, this fundamental ignorance is not, is thus not a state of mere unknowing. It's an active state of misknowing. In our state of misknowing, we mistakenly perceive things contrary to the way they really are. If something, and, and he, he says, all phenomena lack intrinsic existence. It's a, it's a great phrase. The word anatta actually means, is translated often as no self. Uh, but, it, but it sort of means that, that self doesn't have any intrinsic existence. Not that it doesn't exist. If something had intrinsic existence, if there was an essence to it, it couldn't change.
1: Right?
0: Because if it changed, it, would, it wouldn't be essential. Does, does that make sense? Is that, is that, I and mean, that's really at the heart of things. Because if all things are impermanent, if all things are dependent, embedded in each other, all things, if everything is embedded in everything else, then there's nothing essential anywhere. There's nothing with an essence, nothing that's unchanging. So if you posit something that's unchanging, well, it it can't be caused by something. It can't disappear. It's permanent. It's the it's the it's the condition of a God that is postulated to be eternal. In a way, you know, how, how if there were such a thing anywhere, how could we possibly know it? Because our sensorium I mean what which of our sense senses at which of our sense gates is there anything that lasts you know, that isn't fleeting. Our experience is constantly changing. Externally, you know, Heraclitus said you can't step in the same river twice. Internally, Robert Rauschenberg said you can't look at my paintings twice. You're different the next time. You've seen it already. So this this issue of essence is at the heart of emptiness. Intrinsic, being. If there's no intrinsic essence anywhere, there's nothing to grasp to at all. There's nothing to cling to. Trying to cling is sort of like grabbing water in a stream. Just there's nothing to grab onto. The opposite, of course, would be dependence, which is what the Buddha was teaching. Dependence, the, hard, the, 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 the core of the notion of dependent origination is that things arise in dependence on other things. Everything is embedded in everything. We're totally dependent on the Big Bang. Without the Big Bang? We're not here, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're just sort of the, the, the ripples of the Big Bang at this point in the, in the process. So if, you know, if you, if you read that... Um, for one who sees the origin of the world as it really is with correct wisdom, there is no notion of non-existence in regard to the world. The world is a concept. The, the Buddha is pointing at our experience. He's not talking about, he's not thinking about our experience. He's trying, well, he sort of is, but he's trying to point at it. He's talking experientially. A lot of the habit of attributing thingness to what appears in our experience is part of our, uh, this is my, my take, part of our Genetic inheritance. We are cultured to do that. The brain does that. It makes us very efficient. You know, it makes us very efficient survivors as a species. We think in terms of cause and effect. Really, um, let me say something about Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna is, for many people, the second thinker in in Buddhism, behind the Buddha. And what he did was to take the Buddha's teaching and refract the anatta notion, the shunyata notion, and expand upon it It became the, the origin of the Madhyamaka school, the Mahayana, in the Mahayana tradition. Emptiness is a major theme in the Mahayana tradition. When I first encountered his, his work, the f- f- first chapter of the Mullah I'm not going to say the word.
1: <laughs>
0: I can say it in my mind, but the tongue just won't pull it off. Um, the first chapter was on causes and conditions. And basically, he does not believe in causes. And it caused me to think about that. He says a cause is something that has the power to bring about something else, whereas a condition, he uses the word condition, a condition is something that can be appealed to as part of an understanding of, of origin. But if you say, you know, I think cause and effect is a habit of the mind, it's part of the way the mind is built. What causes a home run? Well, a batter hits the ball. Well, is that not every time the batter hits the ball. Sometimes he doesn't hit it hard enough. Sometimes the pitcher isn't throwing it hard enough. Right. But if he hits it hard enough, is it a home run? No, it's gotta go inside the foul lines. You know, it's gotta go inside the foul lines, gotta be in play, it's gotta, it's gotta be a home run. What causes a home run? The home run. <laughs> you know, the wind isn't blowing too hard, the batters, the bat doesn't, I mean, it's a constellation of conditions. So there's no one condition that caused a home run. I always, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you've listened to, and said, well, if he hadn't been thrown out trying to steal second base, it I'm thinking, if he hadn't been thrown out, you know, what kind of world you know, it would have been different? <laughs> the batter wouldn't have got the same pitch and, you know. You can talk about some things that are empty. My, my favorite example is a sunrise. Sunrise is empty. It's a wonderful example. Is it happening? Is it real? Happening, but it depends on on a perceiver. When we're seeing the sunrise, the people in Hawaii aren't even seeing light sky. So it's a it's a phenomena that's dependent on the perceiver. The well, my gosh, it depends on the rotating Earth. It's not really a sunrise, is it? Buck, Mr. Fuller used to wanted to replace it with. A, uh, the word sunset and sunrise with sun clips and sun sea. <laughs> but a sunrise is is it's, there? It is, but s- somehow it it's it's just a conditioned appearance. The United States government, and we talk about it as a thing, as an entity it's there isn't anything there
1: you know what I mean
0: Oh, but we'll blame it. That's another government bungle, whatever government's not working what <laughs> um, the color red pretty interesting it's a- it's we we. Have a word for red. We distinguish, perhaps, maroon. Not all languages distinguish maroon. For example, the color red is a conventional designation. One of my one of my friends talks about how uh, I I think I mentioned this, but his. Yet He has a, a Tibetan friend who said, "You know, I never realized how many emotions I had until I learned English.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because in in conversational traditional Tibetan, I guess not not the classical text, but in you know in spoken, there's just happy, sad. So we're like the we are to emotions the way the Eskimos Eskimos are to snow. <laughs> <They're not> self-absorbed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." I, I, think. <laughs> I think middle C, of course, is conventional. Clouds. Are they there? What are they? You know, if you look at them real close, if you get in one, it seems like fog. So it's an appearance. That depends on air temperature. Water saturation depends on all kinds of, and just a lot of it. it's, it's uh, the tree that falls in the forest, It's the one that's not in the Geico commercial. <laughs> you know, is, sound is a dependent arising. It's empty. Mine. Can we put our, can we identify something that's mind? We talk about it, it's a word. You know, a lot of these, uh, all of these things are formulations in language and what is in our experience. So to say that something's empty, in this sense, is to say that it's empty of intrinsic existence. It's empty of essence. It's empty of thingness. You know, the the place is held in uh, in the the, uh, the Theravadin tradition with the concept of anatta, which no atman, which means which uh, is, is often translated as no self. But if you just think of it as, and, and some people are, are, feel more comfortable with no fixed self. And, and that is, is better, but I feel uncomfortable with that because it suggests, you know, we really like the notion of our self. Right? It's not just me, right? So there's this sense, no fixed self. Well, at least there still is a self. (laughs) Yeah, and you could have it's like in my in my vision, sort of like a lump of clay. It's not fixed. Well, it can be a long thing. It can be a square. It can be made a sphere. You know, as long as that lump is there, I'm happy. I let it be unfixed. But it's but it's more like a cloud. Is more like a cloud. As a language thing, Nagarjuna likes to. Uh, he plays with the, with the words. One of the things he does is he, he he is. He's sort of like Socrates. He takes apart the arguments of the others without without advancing anything himself. In fact, he says, "I have no position." but the inseparability of things, the walker and the walking. Is there a walker who's not walking? Does that make any sense? Well, I'm a walker and I am not walking right now, but we're starting to get conceptually, we're making conceptual distinctions. Is there walking without a walker? The noun or it's a gerund, actually, walking floats there. But is there, experientially, walking without a walker? Experience just unfolds. It just unfolds. Any distinction is a distinction that's in the mind. Dukkha is conditioned. It's not a thing. It's not a morass in which we are stuck. You know, Dukkha is conditioned by Tanha, second truth. The origin is Tanha. An unpleasant experience in the first in the first truth. You know, old age, sickness, death, pain, sorrow, lamentation, distress, despair, not getting what you want, getting what you don't want, and losing what you cherish. Anything anything to order up there? Not so much. Unpleasant experience. Dukkha is conditioned by unpleasant experience and by tanha. That's why compassionate action can often, I mean, someone's hungry, you can give them a Dharma talk on abandoning tanha or you can give them something to eat. Dukkha is a is a dependent arising. Emptiness itself is empty. Nagarjuna is pretty pretty clear about that. He says, you know, people who cling to emptiness are. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think he's, I think it's something close to hopeless or helpless, both. But that's what, you know, in the Heart Sutra, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. How does that make sense? Well, the notion of emptiness depends on something to be empty. Without things, there's no emptiness. Does that make sense? So emptiness is, is... Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Sounds crazy. Sounds contradictory. But in the light of when you're talking about essence of things, any of the skandhas are conditioned. all All of our experience is conditioned. The text is long, and it gets—it it suggests some things that uh, become, become very hard to deal with when you think in terms of essentialism. Nibbana is well, nirvana is samsara, or nirvana is samsara. Is that going down easy or not? <laughs> as soon as we think samsara is something, it's this, and nirvana is something else. But the notion of nirvana doesn't make any sense without samsara. And it's the same experiential thing but with a different feeling tone. You come at it in a different way. You see it in a different way. It's the same sensory experience. There's a... um, formulation that, that becomes fairly significant in the later teachings, and, and we hear about it uh, in our tradition, and it, it's, it's distorted somewhat. It's the, the, the notion of the two truths. And often it's taught as two levels of reality. There's ultimate reality and conventional reality you may have heard this. And it's it's part of the metaphor that comes out of the Advaita tradition out of the Is there a deer out there? I
1: don't
0: know, there's people. Oh, there's people? Okay. Or not. Sort of like wildlife. I have a, <laughs> a friend who has a house on a golf course and when you sit on the porch and watch the the golfers go by, it's sort of like watching the wildlife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you watch
0: Yeah. They're empty. There they are. Just appearances but the two truths the two realities you know and it gets it gets it gets it's a it's a uh, this interpretation is a manifestation of the hindu notion or the the brahminical notion of brahman you know there is the there is the essential being um, and then there there each of us are parts of it we're the wave in the ocean how have you heard the wave in the ocean we're part of the oneness of all things oneness concept where do you see oneness anywhere where do you experience it anywhere we can think it and we do but it's a thought the oneness of all things isn't something the buddha taught it's not in the it's not in the scriptures anywhere The two truths, conventional truth and ultimate truth, you can take that metaphysically. There is an ultimate truth. It's the one in the back of the book that we haven't gotten to yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's the transcendent reality, the one that's behind our experience. It's what's real. We have this notion that what's real is permanent, don't we? Permanent. And what's, you know, in, in, the, in the, the Brahminical and in the Hindu notion, it's Brahman is real. And all of these appearances, maya, delusion, Buddha didn't make that distinction. He was actually interested in appearances. How are things here? He wasn't interested particularly in speculation about things that were not (coughs) available for personal validation. Be an island under yourself or a lamp under yourself, the word is deepa. It depends on whether how you inflect it, whether it means island or lamp. Lamp sounds warmer sounds like illumination rather than being cut off. So I like lamp. Be a lamp unto yourself. He wasn't interested in that kind of speculative views, he said. People with tightly held speculative views usually walk around annoying others. Unconventional truth is the truth of red. No, the truth of cause and effect, it's a conventional life. You know, we understand the world as we understand it. And in that understanding, we've got a notion of ultimate truth. But from Nagarjuna's standpoint, the ultimate truth is the conventional truth is empty simple. You could say the ultimate truth is there is no ultimate truth. But conventional truth is empty. This Gay Watson, I I was I have a stack of books that I was going to bring along to wave around. They're sitting on my <laughs> on my dining table. One of them is Gay Watson's new book called Oh, dear. It's yeah. on emptiness. She's a British scholar. And she was down on, at, uh, at Gill's place uh, a couple of weeks ago and did a day long on emptiness. Wonderful. She says, The way we naturally apprehend reality is the conventional truth of appearance, the absolute truth of which is emptiness. Emptiness is not a thing. It's just a recognition that there is not intrinsic essence in our experience. It doesn't suggest non-existence, that sunrise, it's there, right? I mean, when it's there, you can see it, but it's it's a dependently arisen phenomenon. You know, turning emptiness into a thing would be grasping at... You know, the Buddha has a a discourse on the, the simile of the snake. If you grab the snake by the tail, it bites you. You have to grab it correctly. And it's the same. It's the way of holding emptiness is to grab the snake correctly. If you grab it thinking that it... I mean, emptiness. If you think it's a thing... you'll wind up clinging. You know, I think uh, this understanding, this perception of things as empty, of essence, is the heart of right view. It's an antidote to the misunderstanding um, that flows from reifying our understanding. Everything we think is everything we think. <laughs> um, the Buddha uses the, the phrase, the signless deliverance of mind. Uh, I may even have a, one of those quotes. The signless deliverance of mind. He's talking about um, lust is a maker of signs. Hate is a maker of signs. Delusion is a maker of signs. That's the pickpocket in the saint. When the pickpocket meets the saint, he only sees the saint's pockets. So his desire for pocket contents leads him to see a world full of pockets. Does that make sense? I mean, it's metaphorical, but it's... Delusion is a maker of signs. In a monk whose taints are destroyed, these are abandoned, cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, done away with, so they are no longer subject to future arising. Of all the kinds of signless deliverance of mind, the unshakable deliverance of mind is pronounced the best, as opposed to the transitory. Naroda, which is the Third truth, cessation, would be, you know, it's cessation, but it's arising is possible. But he's talking about a realization where it's cut off at the root, done away with, no longer subject to future arising. Signless deliverance. It's the deliverance of the mind from being captured by symbols, signs, language, nouns. Is that is that? Is that useful at all? No, it's, it's not just the Buddha's notion. It shows up in in the arts, it shows up in um, in lots of other places. Are you familiar with John Cage's composition, 4 minutes and 33 seconds? No. It, it it pissed people off at the time. who paid for tickets. I'm not sure that people got as rowdy as they did with the Rite of Spring, but it was it was not uh, the it was and it was in three movements. <laughs>
1: How you know? What? How
0: did you know? Oh, because you know? the performer sat at the piano, and I I wasn't there. But he ta- at, at the and he started the piece by raising the cover on the keys, and the end of the first movement, <laughs> closed the cover on the, end, opened the keys, and sat for four minutes and thirty-three seconds, and then he bowed, and and what and the piece was empty of what it was full of ambient sound. Now Robert Rauschenberg's white paintings. No. Um, which if you if 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 in your mind you say well they're white what's the deal they're white today they're white tomorrow the concept but if you actually look at them they're not the same ever <laughs> the light you know if i'm wearing this shirt it reflects differently. it differently it's you know the experience pointing at experience in haiku isa says the world of do is the world of do. And yet, and yet. We can know about emptiness, but emptiness is, and knowing about it is the, is, would sort of be uh, what Gay calls a, a philosophy of emptiness, as opposed to the experience of emptiness. You know, the experience of emptiness is um, described in as suchness. Things are in the seeing, just the seeing; in the hearing, only the hearing; in the touching, in the tasting, in the smelling, and in the cognizing, only the cognizing; in the knowing, only the knowing. You know, in this, in this, in this sense. The word objectivity just becomes another idea. Peter Jennings, was a, a TV guy. How do you annotate a TV, something you heard on TV? He said once, and it, it, I remembered it. He said, "Objectivity means different things to different people." postmodern philosophers, you know, uh, Gianni Vattimo says, there are no facts, he's Italian, there are no facts, only interpretations, and this too is an interpretation. Mm. Emptiness, as a concept, is, is a finger pointing at the moon. It's pointing at a particular way of experiencing and it's a way of practicing. And so our practice is a practice of emptiness, even though we don't call it that. But it's, an, it's a practice of being present just with the experience as it arises, passes, changes, including the language that shows up in our mind, which is dependently arisen. It is dependently. When you When we sat there for 40 minutes, what was going on in your mind was different than what was going on in my mind because we're in different seats, different conditions. So emptiness is a, is a you know, for me, it's a pretty useful tool and pretty helpful. And, and it doesn't feel obscure to me. It doesn't have a mystical... Notion—it's just direct. It's just pointing at directly at experience. What do you think? Yeah.
2: I've been thinking. I've uh, read about this. Reggie Ray's book on uh, Mm Vajra, Secrets of the Vajra World. In one section, he's talking about. I don't remember the, the technical term, but it, it's three views of experience. Mm-hmm. And, and one is this, this relative, just the fact of this relative uh, experience that you're speaking of. And then there's the imaginary view, which is kind of like my concept of self or mm-hmm. my worry about the future. It's like that, that construction in the mind, and then yeah. there's the ultimate, which is sort of like that essence that you're speaking of. Well, our practice, I guess, is distinguishing
0: or discerning. Well, the notion of essence is a notion. That's true, too. And At least in the mind. And, and the notion of essence is dependent on the notion of dependence, because without the opposite, it doesn't make any sense.
2: And yet they're saying it's, it, it's the ground, I guess.
0: That's right, and it's a concept. Well, if we have any experience of it, but how could we have any experience of? You couldn't. Right. So it's just a philosophy. It's a spe- what the Buddha would call a, spe- a speculative view. It's
2: mm-hmm. just another way of distinguishing.
0: Well, it distinguishes what it creates an idea of something and attributes reality to it. For me it
2: helps. It helps. Too for practice to to discern between when I'm, you know, reacting based on my conscious mental imagination and mm-hmm. working things up in, in my mind, you know. And what is just basic experience to be able to, to sort of discern between us, I think that's helpful, at least for me.
0: Well it's help it's helpful I find distinction helpful. Uh-huh. Um, because if you just sort of say enlightenment in that direction, that's not helpful. You sort of look off and you're, where? You know, but if you can be more precise, if the finger can point more directly at the moon. And I think emptiness is um, maybe the best, the best um, understanding we can attain one of the the distinction to make is the distinction between the language and what it's pointing at yeah
1: i'm not sure this is this is a, a fact or not but the somewhere along the line i got the idea that the The goal of insight meditation was to have insight into the three characteristics of existence. So,
0: would that be considered an experience of
1: emptiness?
0: Anatta is is emptiness of self, really, is what we're talking about. It's not that the sunrise isn't there, it's just empty self it's not that the self isn't there. It's just not it's empty. Insight into emptiness is insight into direct experience. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) So so there there
1: there is the possibility then if you can achieve that level through insight meditation of having
2: a knowing of emptiness that is not...
0: Emptiness, in emptiness is not a thing. <coughs> it's, it's not anything to contact no. directly and know. It's, you can know about it. And you can experience what shows up at the six Sense Doors. And all of that is, everything that shows up in our experience is dependently arisen. It's dependently arisen because it's dependent on our neurology. Does the color red exist in the world aside from in our experience? There's energy, but for it to be interpreted as red, that's a dependent arising. Does that make sense? Yeah. So emptiness isn't something, it's not something behind appearances. You know, that, that's, that's an ultimate truth, the ultimate truth is behind, it's something transcendent. And there is a fault line in Buddhist teaching. On one side, Nibbana is a transcendent reality that is essential that never, that, that lasts forever, is independent, uh, and that, that our job is to perceive it. That's, and that's, that's, a, that's a common story. The other one is that it's de- a dependently arisen phenomenon. If you look in the scripture, you know, Sariputta, you could say, well, he was just number two to the Buddha, he was his you know, senior disciple in teaching. You can say, well, he didn't get it right, but he, it's clear in the Samyutta Nikaya. Nibbana. What is Nibbana? Nibbana is the destruction of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's not a transcendent thing. It's just what happens when greed, hatred, and delusion no longer arise. Yeah.
1: Is it, does it have anything to do with, in your opinion, with like when you're on retreat, say, and you totally you you know you're at a your mind is totally blank. Uh-huh. You're just there, and there's really like nothing. Does it have anything to do? With well, you
0: that? would say there is nothing anyway. Whether your mind is blank or not, there's nothing. There's nothing anywhere. No thing, anywhere.
1: And is that? Hint at emptiness in your
0: opinion? Uh, yeah. Well That's, emptiness is okay. emptiness is is certainly whether you're whether you're off in retreat on some exotic mind state or whether you're just, you know, fighting traffic, all of this is just dependently arisen experience. There's nothing with an essence anywhere. If there was something with an essence it would never change. So do
1: you think emptiness is something that one can experience?
0: The experience of emptiness is the experience of suchness. It's the experience of direct uh, contact. It's just being with what arises and passes. And it's an understanding. It's, not, it's an understanding that all of this is dependently arisen. That there is no essence to grasp after. And so it helps with the clinging stuff because if there's nothing of substance there's only dependently arisen constantly changing phenomena clinging is like trying to grab water coming out of the faucet just good luck that doesn't mean we don't cling it's we don't get a hold of <laughs> it's what happens the clinging is unpleasant yeah i don't know whether I'm going to be able to explain what i'm thinking but okay
1: um, emptiness. If emptiness is nothing, no thing, why even use the
0: word? Ah, because we attribute essence to things. We think this Can't is you just use, use w- the
1: word nothing.
0: Well, you know, then then you then you sort of say there's nothing here, nothing anywhere, yeah. and people. Well, you could better than emptiness. <laughs> well, it's. I'm not sure what you what you what you get, but we are in the West. We are inheritors of Plato's notion of the world of forms, what's really real are the permanent things of which this world is a manifestation. So we think there is real stuff that is permanent, and we feel it, and we look for it. The Buddha says, I looked everywhere for a place of safety and couldn't find it anywhere. There is nothing unchanging anywhere then why couldn't you just word, use the word emptiness well he does anicca dukkha anatta why why I mean, i'm just having really a difficult time accepting the word emptiness well and okay the that word it means empty of essence is what it means emptiness empty means to be, to lack something to not have something present so the room is empty of people of furniture empty it's empty but it, of but it's essence no. But the, but it's empty of essence. It, the emptiness in this sense means without essence. It has essence. essence is a is a quality, a permanent quality that makes something a thing, independent. That makes it independent. It won't change if it has an essence. That essence can't change by definition. Okay. And and there is nothing that is unchanging. So there's nothing with an essence.
1: So there's no, word, there's no need for the word essence.
0: Well, but we attribute <laughs> essence, what it does is it makes a distinction about what we think is real, mm. what has essence, what is essential, what is permanent, what is real, and what is just transitory, what's not so real, what's just apparent. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, yeah. Would
2: you go so far as to say is
0: a condition for experience? No. Experience is conditioned by a sense organ and a contact. And there is consciousness at the at that sense gate. That's the Buddha's idea. So emptiness is a concept. Emptiness is a concept that points at something. It points at the at the well. The, You know, at the at the the lack of intrinsic existence. It's a fundamental ignorance is not a state of mere unknowing, it's an active state of misknowing. It's attributing essence to things, permanence to things, thing thingness to things. So
2: how does this affect your behavior?
0: Ah. You don't you you cling less, yeah. Right. It is process. And process is really empty. Actually, what's interesting, because it, you know, it's the notion of process depends on the notion of things that don't process. Well, it's, you know, we live in our words and our concepts. And the idea here is is to, is to pry ourselves free of that somehow and still function. You can live a conventional life and do just fine. And you'll actually be happier if you're not clinging to essences. So it's a, this is a technique for freeing yourself. It's the wisdom side. The heart side is different. Cultivating metta, equanimity, compassion. These, this is a different side. There, there are a lot of ways of shimmying up that metaphorical pole towards enlightenment.
1: <laughs>
0: whatever I have no idea where that came from now
1: that's original
0: yeah it is I have no idea what it meant I was just thinking our culture we claim to but there is no thing that's you that's right, it's a concept Right. and we represent it to ourselves and then we want it and that's what happens we represent things to ourselves in our concept and we want it and we, right. Yeah.
2: So I, I, this really makes me curious. This came up the other day. Is, is there, beyond the, the concept of awareness, is there awareness beyond the, uh, the gates of perception, as you will, the uh, scounders or whatever?
0: Yeah. Is there just pure awareness? Well, the notion of pure awareness is a notion that would be categorized by Stephen Batchelor as one of God's surrogates. It's a permanent transcendent thing. It's not a Nietzsche. It's not Dukkha. It's certainly not Anatta. I think for what
2: um, <laughs> one woman here we was talking about maybe is that kind of an experience of just being in retreat. Just
0: being well, in that's, that's a. We that she was on retreat. Well. So it was a conditioned experience. But pure awareness is supposedly not conditioned. But pure awareness is a thought. The Buddha Buddha says, and I actually, if you gave me about 45 seconds, I could dredge up the quote, but the Buddha says, consciousness depends on a duality. Consciousness is a dependently arisen phenomenon. It depends on a sense organ, and it depends on an object. When there's contact, there is consciousness. There's eye consciousness, all these colors and shapes. There's sound consciousness, ear consciousness, nose, taste, touch, there's mental consciousness, which is sanya, perception. It's the perception. So
2: does the Buddha demonstrate this by not owning anything, by not wanting to own anything?
0: Well, you know, uh, Musang, who's uh, one of my teachers, says that the most important decision the Buddha made was to remain a monk. Because mm. he was able to demonstrate that. That, that letting go can go can let can go all the way to letting to total letting go, total freedom. It's freedom, freedom from yeah.
1: Didn't Eckhart totally say uh, his
0: belief was
1: that? Um, oh God! <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Oh, empty, oh, emptiness.
0: <laughs> 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 Always no, never.
1: <laughs> oh, awareness <laughs> yes. was enlightened.
0: Hmm. Do you buy that? I'm not even sure fine. what enlightenment... <laughs> I'm not that's sure. Awareness, you know, we, we got two concepts here and we're attributing essential qualities to both. And we're saying, is this one the other? Things. Enlightenment.
1: Yeah,
0: as, as, you know, <laughs> they're, yeah we're, creating, we're creating essences, labeling them and then saying, is this one like that one? They're all dependent. There are rising and passing phenomena. That doesn't mean that conventionally, we don't engage them directly, uh, conventionally. But if we can recognize them as empty, we don't cling to them quite so intensely.
1: I, I need to step back a couple paces, because I got lost back. <laughs> I, I think, then, if you're saying that if there is nothingness, then you can't have an experience of nothingness.
0: This, you would say that this room and all of us here would be nothingness. Is there nothing here? Well, it's not that the sunrise doesn't happen. It's not that there isn't a self. It's empty of essence. It's constantly changing. It de- is dependently arisen. It doesn't exist separate from the conditions which give rise to its appearance.
1: Then you can't have an experience of essence.
0: What would that experience be? Would it be a sight, a sound, a taste, a smell, a touch, a thought? Right. Well, it's a thought. And 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 thoughts come and go.
1: Yes.
0: And I will too.
1: <laughs> Please, well I'll do one more, yeah. I just want to thank you for taking on yeah. this topic. <laughs> 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 oh, I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. Been, it's, it's really been really yeah. challenging um, and um, so interesting.